Hi, I'm Pam Druckerman, Chief Revenue Officer at Condé Nast. I'm so excited to be here for my inaugural episode of Influence as Currency with me, Pam Druckerman. I wanted to launch this series because I know cool and creative people doing really creative things who aren't afraid to think and do things differently. So I thought it might be fun to get these people together, off the cuff and unfiltered, of course, as I like it, to talk about what's happening in media or whatever that's changing so rapidly that it's hard to keep up. The goal is to keep you all equally informed and entertained. I'll do my best so that you could be a fly on the wall who takes it all in. Cocktail recommended depending on the time. So today you'll be listening to a conversation with Alice De La Hunt, Chief Digital and Content Officer at Ralph Lauren and Chioma Nady, Editor of Vogue.com. As industry transformers in their own right, they're here to talk about just that, digital transformation, the impact it has on truly iconic brands. Hello, Ralph and Vogue quite iconic, and how they remain agile in an era that's dominated by digital natives, constant innovation, and continuous change. But before we jump in, let's talk a little bit more about my two guests. I met Alice when she was at Burberry many moons ago, and how we met is a story for a different day on a different podcast. She joined Ralph in 2018 and is charged with bringing the brand to life across all digital platforms. And trust me, I spent a lot of time talking to her about that. Connie Nast has been very lucky to have Chioma on the team for over 10 years. She's worked at numerous publications before joining Vogue as a fashion writer in 2010 and was appointed editor of Vogue.com just this last September. And in the words of Anna, by the way, to have Anna give you a quote about anyone is kind of nice. She respects (laughs) our iconic past, but is not tied to old traditions. I love that. So... I thought I would start with you, Alice, with the title Chief Digital and Content Officer at Ralph Lauren. Talk to me a little bit about what that means. I'm going to start with the first, which is Chief Digital Officer, because I think every single Chief Digital Officer has a very unique role depending on the company that they're in. When you get specific to Ralph Lauren itself, I've been responsible for elevating all of our digital platforms globally. But I think the role in itself, Chief Digital Officer, it will cease to exist one day because digital is omnipresent, almost like electricity. And on the other side of it, I'm its Chief Content Officer. So that's responsible for all content and storytelling and essentially bringing Ralph's vision to life across the multitude of platforms that exist today. And Chioma, for you, I mean, editor of Vogue.com, what does that entail Does that mean that all things Vogue in the digital space fall under your remit and your domain? Anna's always saying like all platforms all the time. So for me, trying to sort of get my hands in wherever I can and at least feel the digital heartbeat of the site each day. And that obviously starts with the content that we create. But given how many platforms that we're on and how much storytelling we do across all these different touch points, there's a lot of collaboration that goes on. I'm going to be totally honest. Alice and I are actually very good friends. And we spent a lot of time out of the office talking about, obviously, our jobs. And we only say good things always at all times. But we also talk about or started talking about something that, Alice, you're actually the first person to mention the metaverse to me. And so I was going to pose the question, Alice, let's talk about what's exciting you right now. But I know it's exciting right now because you spend most of my time talking to me about two things. One is cryptocurrency, which is not the topic of today. <laughs> and the other is all things in this meta experience that we're, we're all living in now. And it's starting to become more, not mainstream, but it's part of the discussion. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about, one, who was the first person to talk to you about the metaverse? 
And then like, how quickly did you start really exploring that other realm and then connect it to how you wanted to think about marketing in particular? And then take us a little bit further because I want you to also talk about how that led us to your more recent partnership with Zepetto. I actually wrote a paper in university, I'm going to date myself in the early noughties, about Second Life and what was happening in the space at that time. What year was this? <laughs> I'm sorry, what, how, how far back are we going? <laughs> we're going We're going into the noughties. <laughs> what does that even mean, the noughties? I don't even know that. Means, but go ahead. Choma, back me I up did, here. I the noughties. Yeah, yes. yeah, the orcs, okay. the orcs. It sounds very bold <laughs> in back in the noughties. <laughs> totally. Well, anyway, back in my university days, it was a really interesting concept to me at the time. But I think we weren't there in terms of people embracing it entirely. I think there was a lot of excitement and it entered the zeitgeist and a lot of people spoke about it. But I think the difference of where we are now is I think it's quite real. And I think when we talk about the metaverse, or like we're saying that the M word, because it's so spoken about, we're talking about 3D rendered real time and immersive worlds, right? And Pam, you've got kids. I mean, how much time do they spend on a Minecraft, on a Roblox? Mm-hmm. It's a metaverse. That's exactly what it is. And then you look at Sotheby's who are, I won't go into crypto, but who are selling NFTs <laughs> and have an auction What I tell you guys. <laughs> metaverse <laughs> and crypto. <laughs> but they have an auction house on Decentraland. So we've had a lot of fun talking about it with Ralph himself. In early 2020, we had an innovation partnership with Snap. And a part of that was they're obviously a hugely popular um, app for Gen Z. And Bitmoji is the avatar population that is part of the Snap ecosystem. But it's beyond that. Bitmoji is in your iOS and a number of apps that actually aren't part of the Snap ecosystem. So a hugely important avatar. And we designed outfits for people's Bitmoji. So there's tens of millions of Bitmojis wearing Ralph Lauren product today, which we're super proud of with over a billion try-ons. And that was really our launchpad for this. Then we looked at the wider industry. We saw Sepeto, massively interesting, largest metaverse in APAC, hugely popular amongst Gen Z. One second, because you're in a different realm in and of itself. Even your understanding for, and you know them, like they're spending all of their allowance on Robux. They want to buy new skins, as they call it. And they're literally communicating with each other through this meta experience. But for Ralph, it's not necessarily transactional yet, right? Because it's not like your core customer is spending all their time in the metaverse yet. And I didn't even realize that you thought about this back in 1892 and wrote a paper about it in the noughties, as you explained it already. (laughs) I should have known. But I guess what I really want to understand is when you think about vision for the Ralph Lauren brand and how you're building the brand, is this where you believe transaction is going? Or from your perspective, is this another consumer touch point and just how you believe you want to continue to build the Ralph Lauren brand? Or is this like a whole experiment in your mind right now? And you're just trying new things and you're not sure what the end result is going to be. I think the Ralph Lauren that exists in the metaverse is the same Ralph Lauren that exists on the website, which is the same Ralph Lauren that exists in the physical world in terms of the codes and values and the styles and aesthetics associated with the brand. I think a really interesting way to look at it is our sporting properties. Ralph Lauren is obviously official Olympic outfitter. We exist heavily in the golf space the tennis space. And we've just announced our esports sponsorship of G2. Just for anyone who doesn't know G2, they're one of the largest esports team. So my answer is they coexist. Guessing the future in terms of the metaverse is exactly that. It's guessing. And I think it's one facet of the world we will live in, but we live in a multifaceted world. It's a great answer. It's a non-answer, but it's a great answer because it's the truth, right? Like, we don't know. I mean, we really don't. I mean, and the reality is, like, my kids one day are going to grow up and hopefully they won't be playing Roblox. But this is a dimension that's important. 
I'm just trying to understand the distinction between how are we truly meeting the consumer where they are? And this is obviously very early days with the metaverse. And so, Chioma, this makes me excited about the idea of a metaverse, no pun intended, mm. so that everyone can come to the party. <laughs> but you've obviously been incredibly innovative in your approach with Vogue. This year, the Met was a roaring success in all fronts, beyond the ridiculousness of the amount of press and the volume of conversations surrounding the event. I was texting with Alice that night. It was hilarious because we were just all, I think, as excited with the fact that this was Vogue's first live stream that we own, generating over 8 million tweets, 66 million impressions overall, and so many viewers on Twitter that the chat functionality was disabled. I actually took a picture of it. And so <laughs> I wanted to ask you, Chioma, whose idea was it to experiment with the live stream format? And mm. why do you think consumers were so obsessed? I think it's a conversation that's been in the works for a couple of years now. But it just so happened that it came to fruition just when the world needed it most. Coming out of the pandemic, people were hungry for experiences. People were hungry for togetherness and access and excitement, right? And it just so happened that the live stream kind of came to life just at this moment. Also, when we had a Met theme that was its most inclusive and youngest ever, I was always quite interested to know that our audience for the Met is our youngest audience for the entire year. You know, that is when we get the biggest capture of Gen Z. And this year it jumped another 20% from 45 to 60% of our audience. And I think that's definitely thanks to the live stream and this idea of live events and the metaverse. The pandemic accelerated that. We weren't talking about virtual fashion. I think, Alice, you were probably thinking about it a lot sooner than we were until the pandemic hit and everything about how we lived and did anything went directly online, including fashion, because I am not on Minecraft. That's what my nephew is on. <laughs> and I think it was really being behind a computer screen for 18 months that really accelerated that conversation in fashion. Because I think fashion, and I don't know if you'll agree, Alice, I think fashion people are quite behind when it comes to tech. We're kind of a little bit late to the party, I think, as far as other creative industries, because fashion is so much about touch and feel and the experience of being in person and that emotional connection that you have with clothes, that sort of divorcing yourself from that almost feels kind of antithetical to the whole concept of fashion. And I think slowly that concept has been moved forward, right? Now we know that this idea of a virtual wardrobe or how your avatar dresses and looks is being normalized. This idea that you can have a virtual wardrobe as well as a physical wardrobe is a conversation that is like literally beginning to take off. I think one thing we've all kind of come to terms with is one, I agree with you, there's like the need versus the want. And there was like certain things we needed that we were forced to change some of our habits in this kind of new virtual space, you know, connectivity with people for one. I mean, how we're doing this podcast right now, like we're doing this over Zoom, like last year, if Alice had said she couldn't have gotten on a plane to come back to New York, we would have been like, oh, it's canceled. <laughs> we just canceled everything because we just didn't think about using technology this way. And I think it's actually so interesting because you think the impacts on culture that COVID has had, and I agree it's now also shifted from need to want and even just like wanting to have a wardrobe in some sort of virtual way is something that is another expression of what makes fashion amazing, which is like it's about creativity at the end of the day. I'll be honest, I do not have a virtual wardrobe yet. Alice, I don't think you have one, do you? I mean, I know you have other virtual things, but you've not bought like a virtual sweater yet, have you? Excuse me. Yes, I have. Oh, I have. Oh, no. <laughs> what is your virtual wardrobe? You've not shown me. I have a very chic avatar wardrobe set up and it's 
obviously very mm-hmm. Ralph Lauren dominated with a few brands mixed in. But I want to just say something about what Chioma said, just a huge congratulations yeah. on the Met and everything that you all achieved on it. Because as someone who works in a brand, but also of a consumer, it was so phenomenally exciting to see that paradigm shift. And I saw the comments disabled in itself. And I think that spoke for itself. So just a massive congratulations to you all. You saw it because I took a picture of it and sent it to you. (laughs) We've disabled Twitter. That's not true. I had a streaming. It's totally true. It's 100% (laughs) true. Chioma, let me ask you a question, though. Can you imagine a world at some point where there is a metaverse experience? Is that next for the Met? Yes, 100%. I totally can. This year, it was about giving the keys up into the door of the Met. The live stream really gave people all access. And I think that's really important. And I think it happened to completely align with the values of the theme this year. But how can we take that experience further? What does the next dimension of that look like? And when you think about the experience of the exhibit itself, how that could be interpreted in a different way in a metaverse as well, as well as the because, you know, it starts with the exhibit and the fashion that's there. Mm-hmm. There's so much to play with. I definitely can imagine that. And imagine being able to sort of dress with a virtual closet for the Met, dress your guests. That would be insane. <laughs> Make that a whole gaming experience of winning the Met in some way. And obviously, <laughs> Rihanna always wins. So we know that she's the winner <laughs> in this metaverse. Yeah, I think what's also interesting about even just the idea of a Met Averse, or even the live format. And like one thing that I think both of those experiences have in common is the opportunity for other people to have those experiences. I mean, the fact that there was a first ever Vogue-led live format gave consumers a totally different lens. And by the way, up until not even that long ago, nobody got to go to the Met in any sort of live experience. It was all exclusive. And I think, you know, a meta experience kind of changes that. And I think that's one of the appealing things. Alice, this is not a world that Ralph Lauren himself grew up in. Has it been hard to convince someone like him to try all of these new platforms? I want to imagine the conversation you had with him directly about Zepetto. How have you gotten Ralph, not Ralph himself necessarily, but Ralph the brand, the company, to take these types of leaps? There's Ralph the man and then there's Ralph the company. I'm being totally honest with you here when I say that it has not been hard at all. And I'll tell you why. If I start with Ralph the man, he is a visionary and has always been an innovator. And I think the thing about digital is that when you have the conversation and you spend time talking about what these spaces look like, it's hard not to see where a brand should go and how we should experiment or innovate in that space. And then with a man like Ralph, who genuinely sees this, gets excited by it, and gives really valuable feedback in terms of the product that we're going to bring to life, as well as the experiences that we'll bring to life. That's a pretty amazing place to be in. And I feel genuinely privileged that I get to sit and have those conversations because he pushes us. We come with the space and he pushes it. But if you think back in his business model with the 54 years his company has existed, he was a boy from the Bronx who had a dream and a vision. And he's realized so much of that. And that's come from his innovative mindset who hasn't been scared to test newness when it's presented to him in a way that makes sense for the company. Also our CEO, Patrice Levey, the first role that he hired for was a chief digital officer. He sees this space, he embraces this space, and he wants to understand the space. And he sets the parameters up for us and the team to be successful. There's also people dispersed throughout the company. You cannot do a project like Cepedo as a top-down project that only has 
digital people on it. It touches design because they're designing the product that's coming to life in the space. They are literally sitting and working with the development team to understand the French tuck, the oversized shoulder, the drop down, the denim fringing, the codes that are so true to Ralph and how we consider them in this space. And that's really special. In terms of the space you're building out, well, it has to be true to Ralph's vision as well. So we sit with the architecture team and they give the various codes and nuances that the architecture of Ralph Lauren flagships have always had in them. Really interestingly and separately as well, we did an AR, an augmented reality portal on Snapchat a while ago for a Chance the Rapper concert where over 200,000 people stepped into this augmented reality version of a store where he had replicated in CGI some of the portraiture that exists in the physical store itself, melded and mingled it with a lot of Chance's design codes as well. So it is an absolutely cross-functional and collaborative team effort. And that's what I love about my job. And it's what I absolutely love about my job. With the industry changing so quickly and with technology changing so quickly and consumers changing so quickly, we're all in transformation. And I think the difference between a lot of the success you've had at Ralph and some of the other digital marketers like yourself is that I think some of us, some of them, I'm not talking about myself, obviously, are you know, so focused on transformation. Sometimes they're not focused on innovation. And those aren't always easy things to do at the same time. Chioma, what about you? I mean, Vogue has obviously evolved so much in the last three years. And we were just joking about a metaverse for the actual Met. But is there a realm that you feel like you're excited for Vogue to play a bigger part in as, you know, it continues to transform itself over the next, I don't know, you know, tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, honestly, I think the metaverse is wide open space for us. And I'd love to see more of that. We're obviously really trying to foster a community and sort of like, how can we make this all access space extra special for the people who really care about Vogue? How do we sort of make an experience within an experience? And maybe this is a way that we can serve our core readers, our core audience. You know, like we're just beginning Vogue Club. And I think there's so many conversations to be had about how we can serve that audience and what experiences we can offer them. And I think the metaverse is a huge one. In a dream world, I wish we were less reliant on all of these social media platforms to host all these things. You know, wouldn't it be great if we could connect all the dots and have conversations between our readers and have this sort of idea of a more intimate world? I think that's a great point because my next question was whether you feel like the accessibility, and you could say that social platforms play a role here, has changed the way Vogue is perceived or the way that Ralph is perceived. I mean, one thing that both of these brands have in common, and there's probably lots of parallels, but they're both aspirational brands. They're both luxury brands. And it's a big part of, I think, what has made both of these brands quite successful for a very long time. So, Chioma, I'm curious if in any way you were concerned at any point that the idea of something as inclusive as a live stream would interrupt the exclusiveness of the Vogue experience in and of itself. Like, even if you think about Vogue Runway, for example, which I just think is amazing. Like, do you think yeah. there's any risk in giving everyone front row access to a certain extent? Because wasn't part of the appeal of the fashion shows is that like only certain people got to go and only certain people, and we know some of them, get to sit in the front row. I think that conversation is being had. I think we're only looking to peel back and open the doors than we are to close them in fashion. So I don't think there's any turning back on that. And I don't think we should be nervous about having a conversation where everybody's kind of allowed a voice. But yeah, it can get noisy. And it can mean that that experience isn't deemed as exclusive as it was. 
But it just, I think it comes with a different value proposition, you know? And I think people get confused between exclusivity and aspiration or elevation. You can still mm. have a brand that people aspire for that is inclusive, quite frankly. I do think it's harder, though, to maintain luxury status or create some sort of aspirational experience because that means someone's going to want something they can't have all the time. And I do think giving access in all these different ways, maybe that carves into that a little bit. Alice, what do you think? I think it's a really interesting question. And I love what Chayama said in terms of a response. Because I knew you get along. I, mm-hmm. No, I absolutely love what she said because she is so right. I don't think we should move forward into a world where we want to peel back any access because the space that has existed around fashion and luxury has only existed for the few. And I think mass appeal and luxury can coexist. But I also think, and I'm going to put my digital hat on in terms of the answer here, part of the brilliant an amazing and incredible thing about social platforms is those who have not been included and those who have been disenfranchised have more access and ability to see, to be a part of conversations and spaces that they weren't before. It's opening the door and it shouldn't be closed. You know, I think in terms of my own experience as a gay kid growing up in Ireland, very Catholic and conservative um, country at the time, what I would have given to have had social media exist and to be able to see some amazing queer kids out in the world doing their thing, being proud and being supported, to see publications like Condé Nast them, to see queer love being celebrated in the pages or the Instagram accounts of Vogue. I think that is really important. And I think that digital has given access to see that. And I don't think it diminishes any form of luxury or access. I think sitting as a consumer to the Met and watching it, it's so aspirational to attend it, but still only a few people are attending it. How incredible if I go back to 15-year-old me who could have sat on my Instagram account and live streamed it into my bedroom in, in County Wicklow, Ireland. How amazing. What would I have seen? Who could I have become as a result of what I would seen? Because I could have noticed that those people do exist and they're loud and they're proud and they're there at the center of fashion and creativity. I couldn't agree with you more on that. You know, I think about just what has changed and ultimately technology has enabled just a different experience. You know, it's just allowed people to actually see who's walking into the Met and to be a part of that and to aspire to dream and to think differently about how that relates or resonates with them. I think about this for our brands. We're connecting with consumers on 80 platforms worldwide now with multiple brands. And the reality is, how we optimize for those experiences are different. But yes, Vogue is the same brand wherever it shows up. But like sometimes people conflate the idea of access to lots of people as mass. And does digital innovation correlate with more mass appeal? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? And I would just argue that there was a time when you couldn't reach more people. It was just impossible. Geography made us kind of stuck. We were only able to see the content that was available in hard copy in our local areas. And now we can view content all over the world. And so I think that's a big part of how the digital marketplace has changed is just giving access to consumers to have more experiences. And I think that's quite exciting. You obviously are both not afraid to think out of the box here. In a world that is limitless and you could do anything, and I I love an open-ended question like this because it just forces you to come up with a good answer. (laughs) (laughs) What have you not done yet that you want to do? Like money is no object. You can really test anything, try anything, do anything. 
in any shape, way, or form, what would it be? I think we're all just getting started with content. I think we're all mm-hmm. just getting started with live streaming. I think we're all just getting started with really, truly embracing social media platforms. You know, you hear like, don't make ads, make TikToks. I think what I would love to do is have very real and programmatic content for every channel that exists. What does that mean? Don't make ads, make TikToks. What does that mean? So a lot of brands repurpose their traditional advertising or just their video shoot for a TikTok and put it into a TikTok unit. Whereas what you want to promote is TikTok content that's bespoke to the platform in itself, right? It should probably be on a music trend. It should be based on the language and again, the codes people on that platform use. I remember we ran the first ads on Instagram when we were at Burberry. They were approved by Kevin Systrom at the time, who was obviously the head and founder of Instagram. And he was really keen that those ads were just not carbon copy images of what you were running at the time in print. They had to be Instagram relevant and native. And I think that's a really important thing to consider because I think as we've transitioned and allowed print and digital to coexist. I think at times what we do across all of the platforms is say, this is a great image. Let's get it on Instagram. Let's put that little video on TikTok and we'll make the same video in an Instagram story. And how does that translate into a sabeto? The answer is it doesn't. They're very specific languages for the spaces that our consumers exist in. And I would love just to have more content from brands that's specific and bespoke to the platforms and for media outlets. Same goes for Condé Nast, because I do think we're only at the start of the content revolution. I think there's a lot more to come. I think creators are in a great space at the moment. I think, you know, where we're going, it starts with how are we engaging with the consumer and how are we entertaining them and how are we telling them amazing stories and the experience that we all want to have for those of us with TikTok accounts that we want to have on TikTok is not the same experience that we want to have on YouTube. It's not the same experience we want to have on Facebook or Instagram. And it's, by the way, not the same experience we want to have when we're in our living room. So it's like understanding the power in the IP and the ability to optimize. That's everything. Chioma, what do you think? Alice, I thought your answer was amazing. And I think I've gotten so many ideas just listening to that answer because when I think about how do we tell stories on all these different platforms you know we've experimented with live Instagram shopping what does that look like on TikTok how do you close the loop that you started when you have these beautiful fashion shoots or hey how do I distill the trends of the season on TikTok and get them to close the loop with a shopping experience we're literally just starting on TikTok so there's so much to do besides the metaverse on just the platforms that we're beginning to sort of engage with. You know, it was interesting to see the comments on TikTok because they're so playful. Like, it's actually my favorite platform. Mine too. I go on TikTok and I feel happy. Instagram feels just quite difficult for me now to go on without feeling a little bit (laughs) anxious. Instagram (laughs) gives you anxiety? A little bit. Interesting. That is interesting. Well, and let me ask you the same question I asked Alice. No budget constraints. You can do whatever you want with the Vogue brand. What is something that you really want to do? Wow. Imagine we kick off Fashion Week with a metaverse show that everyone's invited and you create this metaverse where Vogue editors have dressed you in the best looks of the seasons and you get to try all those things on in your own metaverse and you have a Oh, couture spending budget and you can go away and buy. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I mean, we sort of did our version of it when we created a kind of video game for Gigi's World. And it, but we, obviously we weren't able to fully realize all the mm. technology, but the next step would be actually being able to play that game. Yeah be able to go into that universe. There's things that we're sort of beginning to play with, but the final iteration of that is still quite a way away and it's still quite an exciting thing to think about. 
Your future sounds kind of fun. I mean, I'll also just say, and we didn't even get a chance to really dig into this one. I'll have to have you guys back. But it's just how all of this correlates with e-commerce. And just imagine that world. And Alice will be the first person to sign up, by the way, if we do have some sort of meta fashion experience where you can try on all the clothes in a virtual space, but then imagine the ability to buy them. I also think the future isn't just about every piece of content or every piece of creative coming from the ad side, including some sort of e-commerce link, because I think that also can start to feel like spam. Consumers are going to get served 10,000 ads a day or some crazy stat that I read in the month of December. So it's like, what does that feel like when everyone's like, buy, 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 also at the same time? But imagine a world in which content and commerce really start to come together. And a great content experience is also a great buyable experience. But also, like, sometimes it's not. And knowing the difference and when and how. And I think, again, that's where the power of the IP is so important, the power of the storytelling capabilities. Any thoughts you have about e-commerce? And is there any other brands that you think are doing a great job in general that you want to reference that aren't Vogue and Ralph Lauren? I think Telfar has done some really interesting things. And rethinking shopping and getting their community excited and engaging their community in a way that is really innovative and just launched Telfar TV. I'm interested to see how a smaller brand can really run with some ideas and just take it to another level and get people excited online and and really create a sense of community. Ecom is something that there's so many possibilities, especially when you link it to social media, thinking about how we can create experiences that really feel lively and true and fun and not just a translation of like a fashion editorial that would live on the pages of a magazine. There has to be a bigger storytelling element and there has to feel right for that platform. And they have to not suck because they so many. They have to not suck. Right. I mean, it's just not everyone does it well. Let's just be honest. Al, what do you think? I just totally agree with you in terms of Telfar and everything that they've been doing. I think their recent commentary on a fashion show and the way they present it has been phenomenal. And I love that disruptive thinking because that's what innovation is. It's disruption, right, to what we've traditionally seen. And it's been really exciting to watch them. In terms of digital commerce and what that looks like, In the future, again, I think Chioma touched on something really important, which is social commerce. And I think that's really just beginning. We're kind of clunkily finding our way around it. And I mean that from a platform side, because I think we need to accept that digital enables the point of inspiration to be the point of purchase and the point of purchase to be the point of inspiration. So that fusion of ease, I suppose, for the consumer is really important How we get there, I think, still is a windy road ahead of us. But I think that space is something that is still just scratching the surface. And we all, as consumers, as well as retailers, need to grapple with and spend the time with, too. And it's not just about ease, right? Ease is so important. As consumers, like, we have high expectations for ease. Like, I have no time for, like, anything that isn't easy at this point. But at the same time, it's also about how are you making me want you? Where's the wantedness and desire? Like, how are you inspiring me that leads me into that experience that then is a buying experience, whatever that looks like, whether that is like a live shopping experience, which is like a whole new way of thinking about just being entertained and inspired and shopping at the same time. I think for the companies that do it right, that figure that out, Those are the ones that I think are going to have probably not just more success, but I think it's going to separate them from everybody else, quite frankly, because I think that's our future. Brick and mortar retail will continue to be important parts of how we all want to live and breathe. But just like the metaverse, Alice is not going away. (laughs) Digital buying is definitely not going away ever. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I am your host, Pam Druckerman. 
Talk to you next time. Follow Influence as Currency wherever you listen to podcasts for monthly episodes. To hear more from Pam, follow her on LinkedIn. This podcast was produced by Seaplane Armada. It was created by Deirdre Connors, Courtney Verdier, Eric Johnson, Danielle Altalio, Julie Shen, Nico Steele, and Grace Stearns, with creative direction by Nancy Rosenberg and talent outreach and casting by Amanda Miller, Fiona Kellerman, and Greg Tharker.